0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Ariel Adams with another episode of the Superlative podcast. Today, I'm joined by a watchmaker. Uh, This is Miss Emma Rudin. Hey, Emma. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, Emma, you are uh, a formally trained watchmaker. Uh, You live in the Netherlands, uh, and you currently work for uh, a small independent watchmaker um, in the Netherlands called Gronefeld. Now, I think what I sort of want to get out of this chat is not only a little bit of getting to know you, but to help understand how people become watchmakers today and what that what that is like what is the first thing that you think someone that doesn't know about watchmaking but likes watches should know about what you do
1: um well i think they should know it's it's actually a craft it's uh, something which really excites me it's it's um yeah
0: <laughs> so you have passion about it
1: yes yeah you, you need passion if you don't have passion for watches you just shouldn't
0: become a watchmaker now Are you saying this because there are a lot of watchmakers out there that lack passion?
1: No, I don't think so. I think the people who got through the school, they do have passion for watchmaking and they can do what they
0: like. Now, there's different types of watchmakers out there. Um, You know, not all of them do all the same things. And when I've been to some of these major watch companies and the manufacturers, I see people that are a lot more like technicians versus watchmakers. Are, do do they have a different job? Is that like a light version of a watchmaker?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I my internships, I've been in uh, in some other companies like Coutre and Frederic Constant. Um, it's completely different. I mean, uh, what I do now at Chronofeld is um, way different from what I did in 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 those companies. But also, if you uh, if you are in a repairing company. Um, like you have restoration where you're actually making parts and really take care that something is working, but you also have a surface center where you just if something is not working, you put another part in it, which is completely different, of course, than from having a, um, the the ability to actually make parts.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna I need to give people a lot of context here because you know you know this so well and I understand the context here, but it's it's hard to understand. What Emma's talking about is the fact that at certain companies, when a watch is fixed, um, there really isn't fixing in the traditional sense. There's a replacement of parts. You know, bad parts go out, new parts go in. Um, it's cased up. It's you know cleaned, and you know watch is done. More expensive watches, or older watches, or you know certain types of watches, they don't have a lot of spare parts. So new parts would need to be made, and in, in, in watchmaking, it's seen as more of an elite thing to, of course, make your own parts and fix something rather than, you know, take a part out of a bin and replace it. I, am I summing it up correctly?
1: Indeed. So it also takes way more time and it's way more expensive um, to do so.
0: Yeah. So it's sort of like a, a a pride thing among watchmakers. It's like, you know what I did? I made a bridge today. I made a wheel or something like that. Right. Like that's it seems to be that some of that's some of the most exciting work
1: well i, I mean some people don't like that at all i mean it's you oh, really a different yes of course some persons don't really like to make parts and they just like to work with rolexes or uh, like new rolexes i mean not the old ones then you still might need to fix uh, things the old way
0: right on an old rolex sure. and, yeah, and is uh, that because it's easier or is it because there's just different things that you can enjoy as being a watchmaker. What do you mean? Well, do they not like making parts because it's hard and they prefer something more easy? Or are there sort of different types of passions? Like there's different types of watches you can like. Maybe, because I again, I'm not a watchmaker. Maybe there's different types of watchmaking practices or art forms that are more appealing to different personalities.
1: Yeah, I think it's more like uh, that one person likes one thing way more than the other does. So... I think it's your personality.
0: Now, one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is that when you go to watchmaking school and you're done, it's actually quite limited what you can do in terms of watchmaking. You're probably good at at following instructions and being a technician and understanding the basics of how a watch works. But is it not true that you don't really know how to make a watch and there's a lot of things that you still have no idea how to do, even though you're done with watchmaking school?
1: Well, I think it depends on which watchmaking school you've been in. I mean, in our uh, watchmaking school, we learn more about servicing than actually making parts. as in the Netherlands, there there aren't many um, like independent watchmakers around, or um, the other work in the Netherlands is actually more servicing. So um in here you don't, but, there are some schools where they actually teach you how to, to make parts. So if you come from there, it's it's quite different, of course.
0: How many watchmaking schools are there in the Netherlands?
1: In the Netherlands, just one.
0: Just one, but, just one.
1: Yeah, but like our country is quite small, so it's, it's, it's more than enough. <laughs> well, I think
0: it's really important because, you know, you and I spoke about this and in Southern California as is the case with much of the United States, there are no watchmaking schools, you know, so that you have one at all, is great.
1: But I think, I'm, I'm asking myself, how do you guys manage them?
0: Well, what happens is people will get trained, I think there's like three or four parts of the United States where they might be trained and essentially they, they have to move here. So a watch retailer or brand or something like that would would hire a watchmaker that was trained elsewhere and say, hey, come and live in Southern California. And that's how a lot of them actually end up getting here. Or maybe they um, you know, grew up here to begin with and moved back, but they're not being trained here at all. And it's sort of interesting that if you are a retailer and you do a lot of repairs, you might need to go and like find a watchmaker that maybe just got out of school or was working somewhere else for a few years and like, convince them to like move to your city. And they like, come over to this city where we don't have a watchmaking school. So Dallas is one of the places in the United States that's in Texas. Then you have in Pennsylvania and you have a little bit in, in in Florida, like in the Miami area, might be a little bit more. But as far as I know, maybe in Ohio, I think, maybe not anymore, just Pennsylvania. But that's really it. Very small, um, you know, very small population of, of people that are able to get a watchmaking degree of any kind in the United States.
1: Uh, it is actually quite a shame because in the Netherlands, um, the we have... Um, more people coming from the school than we have actually places for watchmakers. So um, most of the watchmakers actually end up in like microtechnician or anything else, which is quite small because we can learn it quite fast.
0: So you're saying that that people going out of watchmaking school actually don't have enough jobs there?
1: No, not at all.
0: So kind of a lot funny. of people
1: are going into medical tools um, instead of watchmaking.
0: Medical tools? Yes. So that's interesting. So watchmaking school can be uh, a platform to a completely different career. Is it that they learn things which are compatible, or that they're they're doing something in the medical instrument field that there isn't formal education for, and watchmaking is the closest thing?
1: Well, no. I think um, as a watchmaker, you can work so small that um, by having learned those skills, it's much easier to. Um, well make other tools as well which have to be like so accurate on on such a scale
0: so what are some of the other types of careers that watchmakers might be able to go to just out of curiosity if there are any
1: um (laughs) i believe there was in uh like in airplanes there is a part which which was quite interesting for watchmakers um but actually anything which which is quite small really
0: okay so there's so there's that okay so switzerland has more watchmaking schools. Like, how many would you say are there? And is and is that the most in the world? Like the highest concentration?
1: I think it's. I, I'm quite sure it's the highest con- concentration, but I don't know how many there
0: are. Okay, but there's more than one. And and could you oh, have is. could you have gone to watchmaking school there? Like, was that an option for you, or did you did you have to do it in the Netherlands?
1: Like, as a Dutch person, if if I was able to go there,
0: well, well meaning was it you know you if. if in watchmaking, you want to ha- go to the best school. I think you're a particularly smart watchmaker, and you probably could have chosen the schools that you want to go to. So was it you know, more efficient from a financial perspective to go in the Netherlands? Is it hard to get in Switzerland? Do they not accept a bunch of people? It's The question is, is are there competitive schools? Are there ones that people want to go to? Do they all sort of have the same education? I'm just trying to have a discussion that helps people that know nothing about watchmaking understand um, you know, what it's like to get the education and what are some of the career options. Because it's to in the United States, nothing could be more obscure than watchmaker. Okay. You never have met anyone who's like, I'm gonna go to watchmaking school. Like it doesn't exist.
1: But I I think you can go to, to schools in Switzerland, I'm quite sure. Um and it is is yeah, it is quite interesting. And um, like the, the one in the Vallée du Jour, they work together with uh or um Audemar um, and you have m- way more practice in the companies itself. And that's actually quite interesting. But you need to, to learn the language.
0: The language of French, you mean?
1: French or um, like when you're going to Grenzen, then you need to learn the German.
0: So that's, that's a very interesting thing. And I've heard that before, where there have been Americans that have wanted to go to Switzerland and get a watchmaking education and they hit that bar that if they don't speak French, those doors are not open to them at all. And it's... it's, But it's it's, logic. What's that?
1: It's logic because they don't speak um, another language. I think it's coming up, but um, French French people, they are um, not so good in English. Um, And there are many French people working in those companies.
0: Okay, but... You know, what, what they have in a lot of places is bilingual educations or things that, that are good for different languages. You know, Canada, for example, is the perfect example of everything being in you know French and English. And so it, it can be done. Some would say that it's a relatively stubborn thing to say, you know, we only want to make it available to French speakers. I, I I guess I can see the practicality, but it you could say, well, you could invest a little and all of a sudden more people might come to your schools.
1: Well, I, th- I think they do have enough people coming to their schools.
0: Well, so it's limited by people who speak French. I, look, another way of looking at this, which is actually quite true, is there is a protectionist element to it. And that is that the Swiss watch industry, or I'll say the French-speaking watchmaking region, doesn't really want that to be lost and to be given to someone else. By maintaining the education only in French, they maintain that only people in that area or culture um, will be applicable to be a student and therefore they can keep these skills within the culture. Um, I, I've heard about that. I haven't been in that position. Do you feel that that might be true or have you seen evidence of the contrary?
1: I have seen evidence of the contrary. I okay. mean, when I did my internship over there, I was more than welcome and they loved to teach me. Um, but I I thought French for it and you, you can... Um, if you if you speak French, you can also read the books and everything. So, um, you can see it as an advantage as well.
0: Right. So maybe there isn't so much a concerted effort to keep it in French only, but the reality is that so much of the materials uh, of different types are only in, in French that it would be really impractical to have a complete education and, and not speak French.
1: Kind. Well, maybe <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what what you want.
0: Are there Um, different styles of watchmaking or is it sort of all the same skills no matter where you sort of try to learn it?
1: um, Well, that's an interesting question because every craftsman uh, has his own way of doing things and there is just not one way to roam, you know? there is You you can have many paths to get a kind of a result. And so I think in every school, because you have different people in every school, um, you have different way of, Getting there, you know. So, mm-hmm. well, good question. <laughs> an example. Um, can't can't find an example at the That's moment. It's okay. But
0: so, so there are stylistic differences. It might be hard to find specific examples, but it's yes. it's not a universal education across the board.
1: I think, like in in, in the big picture, it is. But um, if you look at how people do um, some kind some techniques, um, it, it might be different. Again, let's put it
0: this way. Can you learn watchmaking outside of Switzerland, and then assuming you speak French, go to Switzerland and work as a watchmaker? Meaning you won't need yeah. to learn other skills; you'd be basically be good.
1: Um. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's 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 highly uh, sort of like transitory skills, and and I used to hear this actually. This is sort of before our time, but watchmaking as a job used to be like the nomad's job because you could <laughs> you could have this skill. And you could take it to basically any city because ostensibly they would, you know, they would need watches repaired and stuff like that. So there'd be these interesting characters that chose watchmaking because it allowed them a certain types of flexibility and freedom to kind of be a migrant. And, uh, you know, we we never think about these days because, you know, we don't have a situation where, you know, mechanical watchmakers are so universally needed. But it's interesting to think that that was that was true for, you know, maybe like 100 years.
1: I think longer.
0: Yeah, probably. think
1: as, as long as watchmaking exists.
0: Well, I'm just thinking, I mean, you know, when when was the first watchmaking schools? You know, we learn about these greats like Breguet and all this stuff. It's sort of the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. Were, were there schools at that time or were these people that were self-taught artisans and there was apprenticeships and stuff like that? Like when did watchmaking as a formal education really start to take hold?
1: Well, that's interesting. I should look that up. I, I don't know.
0: Okay. I mean, I, would, I, would I, just, I, I just know to school, me. be interesting?
1: Our school began um, in nineteen nineteen twenty, I think. I'm not sure. Nineteen twenty. Um, okay. But at that point, there were already other watchmaking schools,
0: right? Right. Which were there already
1: for quite a while, but they don't exist anymore. So uh, I think, like in like eighteen hundred, they they would be there. But I I don't know when the first watchmaking schools were there. But yeah. it's, it's interesting to to find out.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, someone, it's, it's, it's very complicated and someone had to have sort of put it together because, you know, you think about the amount of tools and skills necessary. I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens. I mean, I think if I had to explain watchmaking from sort of a technical perspective, it's just an enormous amount of processes on the smallest parts. Like every little part needs so much stuff done to it from, you know, cut and polished and deburred and shaped and drilled and set with something and oiled and so many little things. And, and the amount of processes is and tools necessary to do all those things is so robust. It had to become an industry, you know, these little watches, even though they're small, there could be hundreds of different parts, if not, you know, in some very complicated, uh, you know, situations over a thousand, but your average, you know, your your average watch movement is at least a hundred parts what what actually is am i right is that wrong it's about a hundred parts at least
1: well if you count all the um yeah i think so but um back to the the education back then um you learned that in a company as well so um you you became a student or like a, an apprentice of a master watchmaker and actually it's it's something we we still have like our um, I, I studied for uh, three years um, and one of those years I was in companies so I learned from another watchmaker
0: how, how does that work like how do you make sure that you still get your work done but someone's teaching you because I've seen I've seen that program a little bit when I go to the factories and there's sort of um you know, the, uh, a master of the department that walks around and checks things, almost like a professor would, you know, checking work. Uh, what was it like in your experience?
1: So my my first nine months, I was in a company here in the Netherlands. And it was a really small company, just two persons. And um, they did clocks and watches and, and of course, pocket watches. Then. Um, but I took a lot of his time. Um, it, it took him... Uh, a lot of time to teach me all those things um so it it's it's asking a lot of those companies but in uh chez le for example they had a class for watchmakers like for students um and it is uh, a class for the for the watchmakers of the vallée du Joux. but um other watchmakers uh, could also do an internship over there and they ha- just had one or two teachers for just 10 50 persons
0: are they are they open with skills and technology yeah. and you know they'll, they'll share these things, right? They love to teach you. It's really nice. <laughs> well, how do they how do they balance that versus the sort of protectionism that some of these brands have, where they want to say only we know how to do this? You know, uh, you know, they, they, if if they share too much, they can feel like they're giving away their their secrets. So how do they balance that?
1: Well, I I have never had the this thing that that they didn't want to share anything with me. So I, I don't know.
0: Maybe I mean look, you admit this is a secret industry, right? Kind of. So what is it they're trying to protect? If it's not techniques on how to make watches, what could they possibly know? be trying to hold hold back?
1: I have no clue. <laughs> it's a kind of
0: strange thing, right? Because it is an industry that doesn't talk about its plans, you know, watchmakers have new products and they, they guard them like they're state secrets. The watchmakers never seem to mind so much, but you know there's no no hints on why that might be
1: well, it's the magic, isn't it? If you don't know how something works um, then there is some kind of a magical experience
0: you're right. there's a performance art in in watches where it's supposed to be impressive and you're not supposed to know exactly how it was cooked. You're just supposed to assume that it was potentially way more complicated than than it actually was
1: well in the end it's it's all technique um a watch is like a puzzle um so if the puzzle is right it will work well if they like if you have um so a movement of an existing um like omega or whatever i mean if you get the raw parts then it, it doesn't work like a puzzle you still have to do uh things to make it work but if you just have an eta movement and you try to asem- assemble it, if you do it the right way, it will work. So if your puzzle is right, it will work. Um, so if you think of it that way, it doesn't have that much magic around it. But, um, yeah, well, for me, it's still, it feels still like a, a magical thing to see it all working together. Right. And I, I hope for, for other people it will do so as well. But I think they are trying to protect that image.
0: I mean, look, what I was going to say is, you know, when you sell a luxury item, you, you want the person buying it to ask as few questions as how it's made as possible. They're supposed to enjoy the execution and they're supposed to enjoy the creator and they're supposed to enjoy uh, the design, the way it was made sometimes as part of the value proposition, but, but oftentimes mm-hmm. is something that, you know, isn't, isn't necessarily sexy in watchmaking, is very frequently is sexy, but of course, you know there are limits. Uh, let me change the topic and ask a quick question about a watch that I recently reviewed. And 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 I'll get I'll get to my question in a second. The watch was a Gerard Perregaux Laureato skeleton, and it took their Wait, in-house right. movement. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it took their in-house movement and it skeletonized it, and you know it costs something like twenty thousand dollars more than the non-skeletonized version. And the way that they sort of explain the justification for that is twofold. One, that the movement needs to be cut up, especially, uh, and that that takes more time and effort and care, and that those parts need to be decorated um, and stuff like that. And so I think the question is, and there's no right or wrong answer here, I just think people like to hear from a watchmaker's perspective, where is the extra $20,000 of value and, and is there an extra $20,000 of value?
1: Well, is it skeletonized by hand?
0: Well, it's it's you know, I, I don't know all the details, but I can tell you when you look at it, the englage and stuff like that, like it definitely looks like a lot of hand finishing. But I don't know how much of the parts themselves were, you know, just CNC cut that way. I I'm not really sure.
1: Okay. Because if you have to skeletonize by hand, it will take a lot of time.
0: <laughs> It can no no, explain what that means skeletonizing by hand by for someone that may not understand what that means,
1: so um i, I haven't seen the movement though, but um you you have to cut it all out, and then um, there is an anglage on the on the uh, corners of every um of every corner
0: I mean there's i again, I'm not looking at it right now, but there's you know <laughs> okay. you I, again, assume that you know it's just one movement. It's a three hand movement. Um, I, I guess these questions you're asking, would that, would that change it? Is that, is that like a $10,000 question? Like, are all the angles polished? Like, is that $10,000? I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but just help under, help people understand how much of a big deal, you know, some hand polishing can be in terms of uh, number of human hours.
1: So that, that actually makes a lot of, uh, a lot of a difference. I think like, um, if i if i take it back to Grunewald, um the most of our time is in the English. it's so much time to to make it right and to make it look really nice it's so yeah it, it does take a lot of time i don't know if it's if if it's 20,000 euros of time but
0: like and when you say a lot of time help put a numerical value on it because i think it's really important for people to appreciate what a lot of time is because if someone thinks like twenty thousand dollars of work, you know, like they're imagining like construction worker putting something together on their house and like that sounds like two weeks of work, you know, and then they see a small part like, does it take two weeks to do that? You know what I mean? I'm just trying to help put actual like time frames on this effort for one part. Well, the whole movement, I guess it's a twenty thousand dollar premium.
1: Well, I think you, you can easily spend two weeks on, on a movement.
0: Easily? Does that mean you could spend more?
1: Yeah. If you have to skeletonize it, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so what are some other techniques and things like that that may not like immediately come across as being very time-consuming that are? And, and you know put more amounts of time, like how long does it take to assemble a movement? How long does it take to you know um, put together a, a complicated watch, like a perpetual calendar, a minute repeater? Because I think people get to misunderstand that people are just sort of like zip, 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 putting them together. You know, they look at at like an automobile manufacturing plant where they see people putting together technology and they're like, you know, oh, they must put together 800 watches a minute. Um, you know, help help put some values in terms of time and stuff like that on how long all this stuff really takes to, to do.
1: Well, I think... Um it depends again on the, on the company. Like, uh, if you, if you have an Omega or whatever, they, they won't take as much time as, um, as it will for, um, for a corner uh, because they, they have, uh, made it so, so well, um, they got to a point where it just fits all together straight away. They, I mean, um. So, so I think that that wouldn't take that long, but we, um, if we are making those watches, uh, we, we first assemble them and make them on the right um, uh, size, uh, polish all the edges which um, uh, touch each other, um, make it look nice. Um, and then if you have the first assembly, um, you see how it works. Then you have to take it, take it apart again, um, clean it, and then Go back uh, to the step where where you would begin, where an omega would begin, probably. Mm-hmm. So, I think um, over here, like a Principia, it would take a month or even longer to assemble.
0: Or a well, month of with, time.
1: Well, with with uh, the the finishing of the parts, maybe even longer, I think.
0: How many people would work on it? Is that one person working a month? Does the watch move around between various people? I think in addition to this amount of time, I mean, one month is a long time. It's also interesting to understand how many different skilled people need to come together to make that happen.
1: <laughs> well, it depends on the company. Like um, with us, um, they they want everyone to be able to do everything um which is really nice it's it, for a watchmaking this is is a really great place to uh, to, le- to learn right so as i just came from school and i had none of these um, um qualifications how do you say that um i i learn it all in in Grunfeld. okay so in the beginning, I begin just with one part and then I gave it to someone else to, to go on with it. And I'm learning on my way uh, more and more. So um, in the end, uh, everyone will uh, assemble the whole watch and do all the pre-montage uh, in front. But um, if you just start, you, you will just do a small part and it will become bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but in, in a lot of other companies, uh, people just keep doing one part, so um,
0: you it will sound, it always. It sounds like it would get very boring after a
1: while. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I would at least. Some people love it, but I I wouldn't do that.
0: I and there are and there that. are, you know, I think that I was trying to do sort of a mental survey of the types of backgrounds of people that like to get into watchmaking, and there is a type of person that enjoys it because it is a it is an extremely boring job. There's literally no stress. You know exactly what you're going to do each day. You know where you're going to be sitting. Um, There are certain people, especially like in the Swiss countryside, which, you know, love this kind of calm serenity. They want to know what time they're coming in, what time they're leaving. Everything is so clear to them. And they're just going to be doing some basic task over and over again while listening to music or headphones or something like that. And for them, it's the best thing in the world. And then there's other people who... You know would go nuts doing the same thing all the time and and have this aspiration to build their own watches, design their own watches. You know what are some of the ultimate things that a watchmaker wants to do? I mean some of it is you know just be very high end position at a brand. maybe some of times it's is it maybe to run a brand? how many people want to start a brand? Help explain some of the like the ultimate aspirations that that you know watchmakers might have
1: well, I think it depends on the person I mean. Uh, one would like to go quite far in in uh, in restorations or um, <clears throat> for for a certain brand, of course. But indeed, others would like so you to said, have their you own said res- brand.
0: You said restoration. Explain yeah. why that's a a desirable, prestigious thing to do.
1: Well, of co- well, restoration is quite interesting. Um, you will always uh, be seeing new uh, watches, new movements, new uh, complications it's it's really it's really interesting of course. and um, every time you will um, you will repair a new watch, it will be a new way um, to think because you will always think in solutions. Um, if you if you have to make a part for one watch you you have to think like how should this part have been looked like um, and and how does it function? you have to think um how it should have been. Um while when you are making a new watch, you you can just do whatever you want, of course, as long as it works. But um so it's um I think if you're doing restoration, it will make you even think more than yeah.
0: I want to get back to the topic of restoration. So let's pick back let's pick up on that in one second, but I just before we get off that this topic, what are some of the other aspirations? You said doing restoration is one for watchmakers what are some of the other top aspirations
1: well because well make your own brand
0: make your um, own brand is that a very strong appeal like is that a desirable th- like a very strong like pull these days
1: i think so you see it a lot you see a lot of people wanting to create their own brand um and you see a lot of people just taking an ETA movement um and and try to make something of their own of it because to actually start a, a real brand, a real movement of yourself is is quite an investment, I think.
0: Um, right. I mean, like, okay, so let me let me give a little context. What about, what about running a company? How many people want to run a watch company? Meaning they, they start as a watchmaker and they're like, my goal is to be the CEO of the company. Is that is that a way of becoming the CEO? I kind of know the answer, but I'm curious to know what you say about it.
1: Well, I actually think a lot of watchmakers would love to have their own company, but it's it's for them more about creating their own watch than actually um, have a company.
0: There, there are very few CEOs that have yeah. watchmaking backgrounds. I've met a few. They do exist, but it's exceedingly uncommon. Most of them come laterally from other industries like cars, shoes, and cosmetics, but But very few of them sort of slowly walked up the ranks. sometimes from like a sales position, but usually they're not watchmakers. So it's interesting that even though watchmakers are entirely responsible for today's mechanical watch industry, both in making things and creating new things, they also seem to very infrequently have positions of power. What are your feelings about that?
1: Well, I think you can actually um, get this topic for all craftsmanships. I mean, I've done goldsmithing before, watchmaking, and actually every company I've seen, well, the craftsmanships, they just love to do their work. They they love to be busy with what they're doing. But sales, um, well, maybe sales is kind of okay because you're you're selling your product, and if you're um, enthusiastic about your product, then. Um, you, it's easily, or it is easier to get someone else um, enthusiastic. But um, I, I think um, craftsmen, like a goldsmith or a watchmaker or a couturier, whatever, they they are not busy with the business side, and it's not in their head. It's I think it's really hard for them or for us. <laughs>
0: So you're saying that the skill of running the company is so vastly different than the skill of being a watchmaker that yeah. the two need each other. Like there's not going to be a watchmaking industry without the business people.
1: Well, I know. I mean there are some watchmakers who can um but overall I think it's hard for watchmakers to do so.
0: What why is that? Talk say a little bit more about that. What's you know what is it is it just a matter of time that they, you, you can't run a company and do the watchmaking or is there some fundamental skill or personality uh, element that is just incompatible uh, with being, you know, running a company and being a watchmaker?
1: Um, Good question.
0: (laughs) Because look, not a lot of engineers end up running companies. It does happen, but, you know, you look at different companies and you see that there's sort of the business people and then the people in engineering, like if it's, you know, just any company that has engineering. It's always a sort of divide and very infrequently are sort of the engineers given given the ability to, you know, run things. I think it's also seen that the engineers um, and the creatives who oftentimes have different, you know, similar goals, which is to make new things, are seen as people that spend too much money <laughs> and the business people are there to like, you know, handle money and hold on to money and deal with money. And so... It's sort of seen that watchmakers would spend themselves into the ground, and without sort of a stern, strict hand to make sure they don't spend too much, they wouldn't get very far. Is there any truth to that?
1: I think it's the other way around. Um, watchmakers—they really? don't. no well, watchmakers—they don't dare to ask um, that amount of money that they need. They always think like, "Oh, I can do it. Like, um, I can do it in this amount of time." And then, uh, in the end, they—they they see it's more time than they actually. Uh, ask for so they they always um underestimate themselves so they they don't ask enough for their products that's what i think and business people are hard they can say like okay no we we need this and well if they have left then fine for the company but if they don't then they at least didn't make a loss well it's and hard I think to sell your own art. It,
0: it's hard to sell yeah. your own art
1: I think that's that's more of a thing than that they actually spend too much because they need the things they need for making it. But if know? they
0: say they're going to make something by, you know, April 1st and it ends up that it's, you know, June 1st, they had to spend another three months or whatever on, you know, the stuff. Two months. Like, isn't that them spending too much because they, they, they had to spend more than they said they would? in In like time yeah because it's time and money and it, it's you know you have to pay people there an extra time you know two two three months of extra effort like that's you know they say time is money so when wouldn't, wouldn't that Indeed. be a sort of a version of fiscal irresponsibility
1: no because they don't want to to give a bad product
0: okay but again and, and it's our name so many people are guilty of this what's what's I giving know. them the confidence to say It'll be done by this point, but then they don't have enough intelligence to realize that it took longer. Like, Or maybe just, there should never be forecasts. Maybe no one should ever ask them, when is it going to be done? I mean, I'm just trying to see if there's ever going to be a future solution to that issue, because it's a big issue.
1: Um, but now, well, it depends on if you have like a big company or if you're just alone. Because if you're alone, then you just have to spend more time on it. Like what I learned uh, while doing goldsmithing, it's, it's also um, like if you can't be too late. As a goldsmith, you often have to make like wedding rings or whatever. You just have to be in time. So if you're not in time with your working hours, then you spend your night on it. That's what I learned with watchmaking. You can't, of course, you can't do that when you have a whole company with a lot of people in it. But if you're on your own, that's kind of how it works, in my opinion. Um, but I do think that people just, like the, the watchmakers, they, they um, should give themselves a bit more space um, to, to make their things work.
0: Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blogged Watch Store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the blog to watch store. Right now, the blog to watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog2Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow-in-the-dark face. The blog to watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the blog to watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now, and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. I mean, and again, this, this is in every industry, like whether it's movies or cars or video games, the people who are the engineers, you know, the watchmakers in this sense, want that extra time to polish something, and there's some business person being like, hey, we got deadlines? Market needs this. We got, you know, we got salespeople that need stuff. It's it's almost like the creative people are holding up the rest of the business when in reality the rest of the business only exists because of the creative people. And you have this, 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 pull, this tug and pull between the creative forces and the financial sources in the in the watch world, probably more than other industries, because you know, it's 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 such a massive pull because these business people, you know, they need to have these deadlines, but watch making. You, you don't know how long it'll take a movement to, to make work. It just, it's just, until there's no problems is really the answer. Indeed.
1: And also with the finishing and all, if it's, if you, sometimes it's going better than the other time, of course. So, um, and if you, if it's the first time that you're doing some kind of a movement, it you just don't know how, how long it will take. You don't know what you, what kind of... Uh, Complications you will find, Ooh.
0: so is that to say that watchmakers aren't necessarily really good? They just have an enormous amount of patience to do the same thing over and over and over no. until they get it right.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. But
0: so, what? What are some like? You know, like in sports, for example, there's certain impressive plays and, and moves that you know really good athletes can do that only look sort of the top athletes. What are certain types of? I'll call it a performance or. I don't know, in watchmaking that only like amazing people can do that, like people, you know, the the Olympics of watchmaking, what does that involve?
1: Well, I think that you you come back to complications and and finishing, isn't it?
0: Give a good example, like where, what would something that only a master could do in terms of complications and finishing that a novice would never even even start to think that they could do?
1: Good question. (laughs) So, um, Like if you're building it from scratch or if you just, if you already have everything together.
0: I mean, look, again, imagine that there was an Olympics of watchmaking. You're watching certain watchmakers compete in something that's hard to do and hard to get, you know, like really hard to get exceptional at. Is it delicacy with fingers? Is it um, remembering an order of something? Is it, um, you know, like doing something fast? Like, where, where do watchmakers compete with one another and really get impressed when somebody does something?
1: Well, I think if you if you um, made something, like, really new, um, I think that's impressive. Um, okay, so no- novelty
0: like, and innovation? Yeah. Okay. Like, is there, like, you finished all these parts in just two days? Wow, and they look like this? Is there anything like this? Yeah, of course, is, that's, okay. that's,
1: that's nice, but it is.
0: So, so speed is value.
1: Well, no, I think um, you shouldn't uh, value speed as much as the the, the, as the finishing itself. So, I mean, um, you shouldn't be hanging on it because it's it's not going to make your work better.
0: I think that I remember I like watchmaking, and I've sat in the shoes of watchmakers many many times, and I've gone to watchmaker um, you know situations and have been been instructed to do things or done certain practices and i like a lot of it but one of the things that i found uh interesting was the fact that you know you have to sit in this position for a long time it could get a little bit um you know you can get a little bit stiff by sitting that way and you know for some people it could get sort of boring and certain tasks you know you can zone out while doing it It can be relaxing or it could be really really tedious and what i realized is that you know watchmaking requires the right type of personality, but it's sort of like a little subculture unto itself. And watchmakers seem to have their own little language. I remember hearing about how watchmakers would write little, you know, messages to one another on movements that only they would see. Like there's this whole sort of like (coughs) subculture of it, which is, it has nothing to do with collecting watches. It has nothing to do with like designing the outsides of watches. It's this sort of interesting, like guild like culture of this, traditional, you know, combination between like, you know, real craftsperson and a technical worker, you know, in watchmaking. And you don't really have that in a lot of other things because televisions and mobile phones are meant to be thrown away, whereas watches are still, you know, more or less made to be repaired. And other than cars and some appliances, like, I don't really know what else is left that is made to be repaired versus meant to be thrown out
1: it's it's funny that you're talking about subcultures because um in our school um the the school was uh for for watchmakers goldsmiths silversmiths and jewelers Interesting. so you had those all in one building and in the beginning when i was doing goldsmithing you could really see who was doing what because <laughs> the, the goldsmiths and the silversmiths they were a bit odd, they were a bit off you know they they were really creative people and um, the the watchmakers they were just the artists of the schools you know so um, <laughs> and the jewellers they they were the popular persons who who thought they were way too much for for the others you know so uh, if you're talking about subcultures i i'm just thinking about yeah well the watchmakers are kind of the artists of the uh, you
0: know of the well, school. so wait, what what does that mean the the artists like artistic <laughs>
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> like bad, like bad people skills and antisocial and a little weird yeah. and quirky.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay.
0: And so the the the, the jewelers were like uh, they were like the 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 popular the sociable ones.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And then what was it? The goldsmiths were what was their th-
1: yeah. So a bit alternative. Uh, oh, the alternative Really having ones. old styles and everything. It's just. So you could really see who was doing what. It was really funny. Okay.
0: So you have like the fashion kids, the jocks, and then I guess the watchmakers would be the nerds or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, what is the split between men and women in terms of watchmaking school? I know that traditionally certain parts of watchmaking have been very male. There's always been a lot of women uh, in the technical and assembly side of it. So I think it's been mixed, but it hasn't always really been equal um, is it more equal these days? Is it just as attractive for women as men? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think there are more and more women coming in, into watchmaking, um, but I think like well, in 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 chez le coutre on the production, there were a lot of women. There were really there were more women than there were guys. I think, um, but the the I think the real watchmaking um jobs they they are more often filled with men than women i think
0: okay and is there is there a particular reason for that is it just one of those things where it's it's slowly becoming more and more integrated
1: um i think it's slowly getting more integrated because men and women are, are becoming more equal i think right um but it's it's not that um as a woman you you don't uh you have less advantage to to get such a job, I think it's just it didn't spoke to them or something to to go in there. I don't know,
0: yeah, I mean it's just you know there's these traditional jobs that people tend to associate with you know uh men having the roles and traditional ones that women and it's it's changing now a lot. It's just that you know um there are certain types of jobs where it, it could just as easily be a male or female in that job. Mm -hmm. And then there's traditional ones that it was more likely to be male. I don't know that anyone really knows, especially in America, they don't have a historic sense of watchmaking. They could just as easily have guessed it's always been a good mixture of men and women. You know what I mean? No, it's, it's
1: mostly men dominated. It
0: is. I guess it's hard sometimes for the outsiders to tell because, you know, like you were mentioning earlier, a lot of the departments at watch brands have mostly women in them but it's not always strictly a watchmaker it could be a technical role which is yeah. similar to a watchmaker in the sense that they're doing a lot of the same tasks but they only know a, a narrow level like a narrow subset of skills like they know how to do these tasks but they wouldn't know how to put together a watch they don't know the larger theory behind it um yeah. you know it might be like uh, you know i i don't want to say a nurse versus a doctor like a phlebotomist versus a doctor
1: yeah, I think so. I, I think that's that's the right uh, way to see it.
0: Yeah, and so th- that's why the watchmakers walk around a little bit, um, you know, with an ego sometimes because they're like, "Oh, step aside! I can fix all of these problems. I can do more than just this one thing." There's sort of that. <laughs> there's sort they, of that cowboy will mentality. They be,
1: will they be as good in that certain thing as as that woman is?
0: Maybe. Well, actually, that's that's opens up a great segue. What are some of the least desirable? Um, I don't know roles or or things you have to do in watchmaking like what do you like what's what does everybody like to avoid I'm sure there's always someone that likes it but what you know like th- what are the jobs that nobody wants to get stuck with for 2 or 3 weeks or months
1: I don't know actually I think it depends on the person like for me for example I I really don't like the encasing because every time you close it you will see some of the dust and I will get totally frustrated about it but other people don't have that thing you know (laughs) that they that they hate it but then they probably have something else which they don't like some people don't like to to adjust hairsprings for example or whatever (laughs)
0: so it's really kind of a personal thing there's no like universally hated tasks or like Mm -hmm. no like you got stuck in screw polishing duty oh my gosh
1: no i don't think so
0: um what are some of the dream things to do like what kind of watch make? like what if you could do this same thing every single day what would you do like what would be the dream like easy watchmaking job?
1: Well, I preferably don't i I like to do all those different kind of things it's it's just it's so interesting to to just do all those parts of a watch i wouldn't uh, I wouldn't choose one of them
0: so there's a there's a very special emotion that watchmakers get and I want to talk about this as our sort of second to last topic and the idea is that you have a dead watch in front of you. Either it's an old watch or it's just a, a newer watch that just isn't working properly. And it needs to be, you know, fixed in some way or another. And you and you do all this stuff to fix it. And then you start it up for the first time and it works. What is that emotion you get when you sort of bring something to life or back to life? Um,
1: it's nice. I mean... Um it depends also on, on the kind of watch you're you're working on. Like when I am fixing an ETA, I'm not as excited than as I'm f- fixing a repeater, like an old pocket watch repeater. If if I get it back to to life, it's way more excited than um, when I when I fix an. So, an, an, so t-
0: talk about that emotion. Are you proud of yourself? Like you've solved a puzzle? Is it a different emotion? Because I, I know that this is sort of a feeling that a lot of watchmakers chase. And if you've never done this, you have no familiarity <laughs> with it. Try to explain what this emotion is like
1: but it's 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 just really nice to see it's running again. it's well yeah, it depends on on the like with if you're just um servicing an e-tower and a, 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 a watch which which is c- quite coming at the moment um it's um it doesn't give that much satisfa- satisfaction um as when you're uh, fixing on uh, a watch which you don't see that often um so it's it's more of a satisfaction uh, um, it's happiness is it a to sense to... of
0: accomplishment you feel like you were productive like you did something good in the world you can sleep easier
1: <laughs> well a bit but yeah it's just it's just nice to see the object in itself working if, I mean if my um, well when I was doing that internship in uh, Belleur here in here in the Netherlands mm-hmm. um when he fixed uh, something really old uh, a really beautiful pocket watch then I'm um, well I'm proud of course of him but it's 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 just really nice to see something that old and that pretty working again I think it's so a thing
0: it's it's kind of you know, a little universe that you can control. And, you know, we can't really control the world around us, but a watch is a little microcosm and it's a little life in sort of a very primitive way. And Indeed. to feel like you are the master of that and you gave it something, uh, it might be a fleeting reward, but it is a very real chemical reward. It is its own special little high. And I think it's important to talk about those, those things that give watchmakers pleasure. and. You know, like you said, if it's an especially old or rare watch and you're getting it to work again, um, that's also combined with a sense of pride. So it's not just a sort of pleasure of making something work and seeing it work in front of you with your own hands, but like no one else could do this but me, or this was really hard, or you know something like that.
1: Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think there there are enough other people who can do it. So.
0: So you're not one of the competitive. You're not competitive at all. It sounds.
1: <laughs> no, no, not, not in that way actually. I mean, I'm happy when other people fix it as well. but it's just it's just really nice to do. And I don't mind if other people will do it equally or well, at least I hope people do it equally or better because it means that um, if, if it's there um, at another watchmaker's table in like a hundred of years, um, they don't have crap on their table. Because that's actually what's, what's often happening as well um, with clocks. Because we, we don't learn only watches. We all also learn about clocks. Right. Um, but there are a lot of um, people who are not in the craft and they call themselves clockmakers, um, but they never learn. And uh, they, they make such horrible uh, repairs. or Well, they call it repairs. Um, <laughs> yeah no but it's really it's awful it <laughs> they, I, they,
0: they butcher it or something like that yeah that's too and bad and they they
1: put a lot of solder in it and you, you just sometimes you you just can't use the parts anymore you have to make oh, new parts like so, and
0: yeah
1: and it's it's a clock from whatever like 1700 or what i hate it <laughs> i just yeah. can't go um,
0: no it go can be it. heartbreaking to see somebody who didn't know what they were doing ruin a master's work because that's what it can be It could have been a master's yeah, work and a very non masterful person screwing it up
1: and it happens it happens quite a lot.
0: so let's talk about restoration um as sort of our final topic because I think that it's it's really important to talk about this for a few reasons out You mentioned earlier that being a restorer is one of those aspirational positions that a watchmaker can 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 dream about like they're like you know that's their ultimate goal is I'll just restore these old things. And what restoration is, is the practice of taking an old clock or watch or other mechanical item, you know, the older, the better, as far as people are concerned. And oftentimes trying to understand how it works by reverse engineering it, because it doesn't come with instructions and there aren't manuals lying around. And then trying to make new parts, uh, oftentimes to fix it, to make it operate again. So it's this, it's this, it's a mystery. Um, it's, a, it's a piece of history. You have to do a lot of thinking, a lot of artisan work. It's, it takes an enormous amount of time. These projects often come with pretty big budgets. So there isn't much of a rush to get it done. And you don't, you know, it's paid It's paid pretty well. And what I oh, want to mention- it actually isn't. It's not paid very well. Okay, so that's that's a dream part. Um, <laughs> but restore restoration work is how a lot of today's master watchmakers, the ones that at least started brands, ever got there. They never learned it really through watchmaking school. They had to have a significant amount of time doing restoration work, and then and only then were they able to go out and make their own thing. So something about learning how to remake parts and reverse engineering things is not the only prerequisite, but but seems to be a very effective prerequisite before someone makes their own watch inside or outside. So let's talk about a little bit about restoration. Um, how would you sort of agree or disagree with what I said other than the money part?
1: <laughs> I do agree. Um, you can learn so much of restorations, not only about making those parts but also by seeing all those different um, ways people make those watches. Um, also the complications, of course i I think you you learn a lot about it like the, the um, I think I've uh, assembled and disassembled um, um, I think fifteen chronographs, maybe more, um, during my study. And the first time I had to do that, um, well, it took me so long. But with um, the last couple of chronographs I saw, it was quite easy to see the system going on. Um, so if you're if you're working with so many different kind of um, um, complications and, and watches, watch movements. Uh, it really makes you see a lot of systems and, and it will make you recognize um, the systems quite easily. And of course, you will make in your mind an idea of how you would make it, uh, what you liked, what you didn't
0: like. So you're um, sampling all these things that came before you. And at the ver- at the very worst, you have a nice mental understanding of all the different systems that have existed that you can choose from.
1: Indeed. So that's that's one part. And on, on the other side, you, with those old watches, if you have to make parts, you, you learn to think um, how to make those parts. And then you have to actually do it. And you learn a lot about uh, making them. And,
0: uh, what is that, and What does that mean? You said you have to learn to think about how making the parts. I, I know what that means, but help explain to someone what the particular intellectual, technical monetary whatever challenge is involved in this process of trying to figure out how to make a part uh, <laughs>
1: um so um well first you make it on paper of course um um you sketch it out um may take care um that you know how to to um have the right sizes and and that it that it will work the the, the main things you need uh, for the part um, so that it will work and then um if you have that you have to make it um, you have to think about how you should make that part and as like as you already said we didn't have that in school um it really takes a lot of uh, thinking about how you should do that. And I'm actually happy because a lot of watchmakers also in Switzerland, they, they love to tell me uh, how they do things. And, then, and you, then you can try to make your own way to, to actually do that.
0: So, so okay, let, let's explain what that means. Like I guess you can't just sort of plug in a formula into a 3D printer and like, boom, watchmaking part. You have to start with what the part looks like like, it looks like this and it's made out of this. How do I get it to be this shape? How do I get it to be this finishing? How do I get to be this hard? How do I get this whole ear? Yeah. Like, you know, right? Mm-hmm. But that, that's, that's sort of what the process is. You, you draw something and then because you lack any one machine that can do it. I mean, watchmakers use a variety of machines. Yeah. All kinds of things from vastly sophisticated computer-controlled cutting machines to the most basic little hand hand operated lathe, right? Like all kinds of stuff.
1: Indeed, and actually, mostly. Well, I, I don't use uh, CAD or 3D um, um, drawing to to make those parts. I just do it by hand. Because if you if you make a lot of parts, then then it's fine. If you if you uh, draw it in the computer and and you have to make a lot of those parts, then it's, it's quite productive. But if you just have to make one part, it's, it's easier and better to do it by. And, and then you can fit it in, in the meantime and make it a bit different, you know?
0: So restoration work obviously requires a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, and you said not actually that much prestige. Do you think that now that there's a lot more visibility on watches in the world, it's possible that restores and repairs are going to be held in sort of higher esteem because the world loves vintage watches right now. And someone's got to make those things work because it's expensive and difficult. Do you feel that there might be a bit of a new renaissance period for independent watchmakers? um, Or is it going to continue to be a challenge where if you sort of want any formal education, you got to go through a lot of the big groups and work there to figure things out?
1: Who knows? You tell me. You know more outside the customers than I do.
0: Okay. Okay. So, this, so it, it again. It, if watchmakers aren't talking about it, that just means that there's an open mindedness to, to various types of possibilities in the future. I think what's interesting is that even though a lot of people might see watchmaking as a bit of an archaic skill, it's remarkably relevant. Like Emma said, even if you don't go into watchmaking, you can go into something related to medical devices and. You know, speaking of their, you know, there aren't watchmaking schools in Southern California. There are medical device companies that might want somebody like that. So it's it's a highly relevant skill. It's it's interesting. I don't know if someone could just, you know, take three or four years of their life to do it just for the hell of it, like a pilot's license. Um, but it is something which is which is interesting. Uh, finally, um, what is one thing or a few things you think that anyone buying a fine watch should know about how it's different in terms of how it's made versus you know, an edda movement that you you know sort of frown, you know, you sort of snarled upon a little bit, like, oh, it's just a mere Eda. But what is it that really <laughs> separates, you know, a a, a a movement that has a month's effort put into it than an Edda movement? Oh
1: well, let's be honest. Eda movements, they are good. They 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 have brought it to a point where you you just can't say they're not good. They're 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 just good movements. Um but it's it's all the same. They, they they have been used a lot in in multiple brands, of course. And um, what you see with the indies, which are not using those EDA movements, they they make their own things, and they they there's just a lot of handwork in it. I think that's the difference.
0: So it's the person spending the time on it. the movement. There's and it's something macabre, which I I thought about a few years ago, and I actually still think it's macabre, but I actually kind of like it is when you feel that like hundreds of hours were put into your watch. You look at this instrument and you see hand finished surfaces on the dial, the hands, the movement, the case. And you're like, you're like wearing human efforts. Like a bunch of skilled human beings put their time and effort into this thing and I'm wearing it on my wrist. And it doesn't give it any more inherent value, not really, but there's this emotional value of other human beings that have skills doing something for me that is immensely gratifying um and i'm sure that you as a watchmaker when you put some of those watches on your wrist do you feel that sensation even more
1: well i think um, you i think those uh, independent movements um, they should be seen as art um you talk about the hours which which goes in it um, if you if you think about oh but it doesn't work better than an ETA so why would i buy it well i think it is you you, you really should see it as art so okay. yeah let's not I mean, talk I, about
0: modern art that's not doesn't take a long time to make We're fair enough. That right
1: <laughs> <now>. <laughs> no indeed because that that's indeed something different um but yeah if i if i see those watches i i, I love that it's it's just so great to see how people got themselves to some kind of level. Yeah, I, I, I just, if I if I have those watches in my hands, I, I just, I really enjoy them.
0: Wonderful. Emma, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Superlative. Um, everyone, this has been Emma Rudin and she is a watchmaker in the Netherlands, currently with Gronefeld. Um, thank you so much and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at a com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit a blogtowatch.com.
1: Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?